Good morning. You loaded up with cough drops and we'll get started. So that's our topic. Who is the liar? Let me read the text from the New American Standard Bible. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son as the Father also. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your holy, Holy Spirit-inspired, inerrant word that we may learn and understand, believe and obey by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. First part of verse 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. So the context, if you remember a few weeks ago, is that true Christians know the truth and no lie is of the truth. So every Christian must be concerned about what is the truth. Every Christian must be concerned to embrace and believe and obey the truth and to reject the lie. There are two messages in the world that have competed for the minds of humans since the garden and the fall. And those are the truth and the lie. Ultimately, the truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, the lie is the lie of Satan who said you can sin and not die, you can become like God, you can obtain secret or forbidden knowledge, and so on. The lie that was told to Adam and Eve that led to the fall. Who is the liar? In this sermon, we'll give a specific answer to that. But the way this is laid out in the Greek, the question is asked, who is the liar? And then there's a phrase translated often in English, but. But if I look at some of the other contexts where this ame is the Greek, is used, it's, it's being specific, it's specifying. Who is the liar? Some would say, it's none other than the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. It's verily the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is specific. Denial of Christ makes you a liar. Now, in the Greek, there's another little twist here because it's like a double negative, but here's how it works. Because it literally says in the Greek that Jesus is not the Christ. But what that is, is an implied direct quote of the liar, if you look at it in the Greek. So what this means is the one who denies by saying 
Jesus is not the Christ. That's the liar. The one who denies saying Jesus is not the Christ. So that is the issue that was debated and fought, and John engages in the fight. Of all the biblical writers, John is certainly very, very concerned about the truth and the person of Christ, who is the truth. In John, we read Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we see a big fight about the truth and the lie in John chapter 8 through a lot of verses. And in that, some people claim to believe in Jesus, but when Jesus promised to set those free who would remain in his word, they became angry and said, we've never been in bondage, so we don't need your freedom. Abraham's our father. Well, then the fight got more intense, the verbal battle, and Jesus eventually accused them of being of their father, the devil, who is the liar and the father of the lie. And they accused Jesus of having a devil. And eventually he says, before Abraham was, I am. Next week, I'm going to do a sermon that covers the essentials of the doctrine of Christ. Since this doctrine of Christ, according to John, is essential for salvation, we need to know what it is. Every false teacher, every cult, every false religion has some teaching about Christ. So even the pantheist says Christ is in everything or Christ is everything. Some talk about the Christ consciousness. Some have a Christ who is a created being and not eternal. Some have a Christ who lost his divinity or gave it up, and they have various Christs. And this is utterly important and essential for us to understand, lest we end up siding with the liar. The Christ means the Messiah, the anointed one. We've already talked about that. He is the anointed one promised in the Old Testament. He claimed to be and is the Jewish Messiah. He came to die for sins. Let me quote John 8, 44. You can turn there if you want. I'm quoting from Lexham, the Lexham version, which was from the Logos Bible software. They have their own version. It's a pretty good one. Here's what it says. Quote, Jesus saying this. You are of your father, the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. The one who was a murderer from the beginning it does not stand firm in the truth because the truth is not in him. Whenever he speaks the lie, that's a good literal translation, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Literally in the Greek, he is a liar and a father of it. The father of it. Father of what? The lie. Where did we first read about the lie? in the garden when the serpent spoke it. You will not die. You don't have to believe God. God's not unique because you can become like God and you can have knowledge and so on. So that's John eight forty four. So the lie comes from the devil 
whose teaching is spoken by Antichrist. Now, as we've already seen in John, there are many Antichrists in the world, but the Antichrist is coming. So the liar is the one who claims to share fellowship with God, but all the while is living in darkness, lying, claiming to know God, but is not willing to listen to him or believe that God has the right to speak bindingly for himself through his apostles and prophets, and that we need to obey God and believe him and come to him on his terms. Now, the term denies can also be translated disowns. You've disowned him. Turn with me to Acts 13, excuse me, Acts 3, 13 through 15. And we'll see a case where Peter accuses his listeners of having disowned, thus denied, Christ. Acts 3, 13 to 15. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned, there's our word, in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. But put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. So they knew who Jesus was. They were there when he did the miracles. They heard his claim because they used that to accuse him. Tear down this temple in three days, I'll rebuild it. They accused him of sorcery. And he was indeed raised from the dead. He was talking about his own body. And they disowned him. We will not have this man rule over us, as it says in the parable. They thought, we have God as our father. What do we need this person for? John is going to refute that idea in the next part of the verse. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the father and the son. When they deny Christ whether they theologically think this is the case or not, they are, in fact, denying the Father who sent him. Jesus made that clear. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. We'll talk about this next week, how Jesus has two natures, divine and human, how the whole Trinity shares the attributes of deity, but there are three persons. So Jesus is a separate person from the Father, but shares essential unity as God. So here it says, this is the Antichrist. Now, reading what John's already written, he's using the Antichrist, a little different here. Earlier, he talked about Antichrist and Antichrist who will come. Now, this is something that was and is happening. So it's using it to specify in a way that drives home the point. The denier is the liar, and this is the Antichrist. Not the only Antichrist, but
but it's used to show what the liar looks like. It's not used here about the one eschatological antichrist of 1 John 2.18. It implies a type of false teacher who so fits the category of antichrist that a definite article is used. This reminds me of something. The Greek Bible is such a blessing to me. When I was preaching through Luke, I came to Luke 18 where there are two people praying. Remember that? And the one says, well, I fast and I pay tithes and I'm a great person. And he's so happy. And the sinner is beating on his breast and says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Well, in the Greek, it's interesting. There's a definite article. God be merciful to me, the sinner. Now, why is that important? Well, it's used there like it is here. In other words, the man wasn't trying to say he's the only sinner that ever was. But he's feeling the weight of his own sin and his tremendous need for God's mercy. And rather than just saying, well, everybody's a sinner, I guess I am too, whatever. But at least I fast and give away money. He's not thinking that way. He realizes he owns it. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Like the old song, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I'm the sinner. Who went away justified? The one who confessed. So the Antichrist is someone who so forcefully denies Christ that he gets a definite article here. It's so important that we believe the truth about Jesus Christ. Now, there are some people, especially in the Gospel of John, who said they believed in Jesus, but they wouldn't serve him. That was in John 8. There are others who say, well, I believe in God, but we don't want this Jesus. So they want to have the Father without the Son. Now, this comes up in several contexts. Let me read John 12, 52 and 53. John 5, 24 says, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. It does not come into judgment, but pass out of death into life. Now, John 12, 42 and 43 says, Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Now, why? For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. So then the question comes to home to us. Whose approval is important to us? Do we love the approval of men, or do we love the approval of God? That's the point. False teachers deny the uniqueness of Christ to promote themselves. Now, we just put up a video about this on YouTube. CIC has a YouTube channel, and a video just went up. I had to watch it so I could write a teaser for it. But in it, I'm quoting a famous professor 
who wrote a lot of books, he's from Fuller Seminary, who was saying that when Jesus was walking the earth doing miracles, he was only a man and not divine. So Jesus was only man, not God. And what I said on the video is that that is blatant heresy. And because it is a rejection of the biblical definition of deity, I'll talk about this a little next week. If God exists, which he does, one of the great names of God is I am. I am that I am. Tell them I am sent you. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. What is I am about? Why use that term? It denotes eternal, non-contingent existence. There's a theological definition. Why am I saying that? Eternal. God didn't become. He is. From all eternity, past, present, and future, God is. We believe in a triune God, the triune God of the Bible. Jesus the second person of the Trinity, exists forever. I'll show you next week. He's the creator of the universe. Now, see Peter Wagner, this professor, says when Jesus did miracles on earth, he was just a man, he wasn't God. There was no deity. Well, on the video I was saying, I had to watch it because I don't remember what I said in 2007. I'll tell you this, though, I'm younger I got a better voice. Anyhow, back then, that this is so important because the miracles are used by the biblical writers to prove the deity of Christ. And this guy says, no, Jesus wasn't even God on the earth. He was just a man to show us what a man can do if you have enough faith and you have enough power of the Holy Spirit. This is blatant heresy. Anyone teaching that should be immediately removed out of the seminary and send them over to United Seminary with the liberals. Eternal, non-contingent existence. Jesus' existence as God is not dependent on something outside himself. It's not gained. It's not lost. It is. I am. He who comes to God must believe that he is. So there's an article that I think we have a copy or two out there by another guy uh, where I critique a guy when heaven invades earth, issue 124, are, are saying Jesus lost his divinity. I've been telling pastors for decades that's a heresy. That's a heresy. That's a heresy. Oh, no. Oh, no. We need to be encouraged to know Jesus had no special power or ability. We can do anything Jesus did. We just have to have enough faith. Well, I suppose we could predict our own resurrection from the dead and send out people to tell everybody that we're the Christ. That's the denier. That's the Antichrist. Saints. We have Antichrist on Christian TV. 
We need to know that. We'll listen to them. In Jesus' earthly ministry, they thought, we just got to get rid of you. We still have God as our Father. Well, let's look at that idea. 1 John 2.23a, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. Sorry, it doesn't work. You cannot deny Christ and have a valid relationship with God as Father. This, too, gets abused by people who should know better. When I was first in the ministry, there was a fellow who went around claiming he had this ministry of the Father's love. And he took psychological categories, saying people can't really love God because they have bad fathers on earth. So you need a man on the earth to mediate to you true fatherhood so that when you get this, you'll know that God loves you, and then you can come to God, and you can know God as Father. But what does Jesus say? And I said that even back then when that came up, and I was part of the group, said, no, no, no. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by me. Not some man with a psychological theory. And the idea that we can't come to God unless our Father image is right. We're not asked to have a psychological state. We're asked to believe in Jesus Christ who said, I always do the things that please the Father. You come to Jesus, you do come to the Father. When you have Christ, you have life. When you have Christ, you do have the Father. And if you're going to deny Christ and say, we have the fatherhood of God, Christian denomination, you don't, because you denied Christ. There was a blind man healed in John chapter 9. In John 9, 22, it says, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Can you imagine that? Religious leaders saying, if you believe in the Jewish Messiah, we don't want you here. We don't want you studying Tanakh. We don't want you participating. You're out. We have God as our Father. We don't need the Christ. John says, you deny the Son, you don't have the Father. Talk all you want. Have your religion all you want. Make all the claims you want. The reality is, you do not have the Father. But they wanted to kill him. John 8, 42, Jesus said to them, God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Jesus is the apostle, the sent one. He preexisted as God and with God. The human Jesus is the divine Christ. 1 John 2, 23b, the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. We can't separate the Son and the Father and create some new religion. We have both. We love Jesus Christ and we love the Father. We know Jesus Christ 
and we know the Father. All of this because of a work of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who also has the essential attributes of God. To not confess is going to be a test as well. Confesses here is present participle. The confessing one. The confessing one has the Father. I confronted many of these seeker-sensitive preachers with books and articles and debates, and they're claiming that their marketing survey has determined that people don't want to hear Christian doctrine. And you know how they do that? They get a focus group, literally. And they say, if you were to go to church, what would you want? Good lighting, good music, people my age, practical answers to problems in life, easy access, great seating, comfortable, everything. That's what I'd like. Okay, so then you get a committee together to create that. And you start your church. But never do they say, I want Christian doctrine taught from the pulpit. Do they ever say that? Not unless you're converted. I told a story, I remember, here up in Canada. And uh, literally, I was home one time when I was quite sick. The doorbell rang. I went to the door. Have you heard this story? Well, you're going to hear it again. <laughs> There's this really nice young couple going to start a new church. And they're going around inviting people to church. So the wife was the spokesperson and said, we're going to start a new church called The Vine or something like that. And it's going to meet over here near you. And we would like to invite you. So I said, is the gospel going to be preached? And she was stunned. Literally, it was the old... Uh, the high beam headlights are in my eyes look. <laughs> and she was speechless. I asked, is the gospel going to be preached? Her husband, the pastor, saw her predicament and he answered for her. He says, no, the gospel will not be preached. So, implication, you'll be safe, you can come, you'll never hear the gospel. In my mind, I'm thinking, I won't be safe. I'll be in eternal danger. I might go there and feel good and be happy and think I'm okay when I'm not. The gospel will not be preached, the promise from the preacher. Let us reverse that. We promise you that the gospel will be preached. And we confess that. We're willing to confess Christ because we must. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He loves us. He gave himself for us. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He's the high priest. He's the prophet. He's the king. He's the exalted one. Why would I do anything less than confess him? The word here, to have the father, echo, the Greek. The father, it must include, if we're going to say we have the father, confessing Christ. John states the truth in both negative and positive terms. Confessing and denying are antithetical. 
If you want logic, this is called a biconditional. And the way you, st when you state something every possible way, you create in logic what they call a biconditional. And here's how you say that. You have the son, if and only if you have the father. You have the father, if and only if you have the son. It works both ways. That's a biconditional. That's why you can say it both ways. In other words, if you fail to confess, you're denying. You can't be neutral. I confronted the head of staff of one of these top secret churches. And I said, why didn't your pastor confess Christ? They accused him of being a Christian. He might as well be one and confess. You know what the answer was? Oh, he's never been afraid to talk about Christ. Wrong answer. I didn't accuse him of being afraid. I accused him of not doing it. He's got all kinds of courage in his file cabinet. Oh, the doctor of Christ. Here it is. Oh, okay, you're orthodox. Now I'm going to preach something else. What did Paul say? Preach Christ. Preach Christ. Isn't he worth preaching? Amen. Here's some applications. Having a true doctrine of Christ is practical. You know the focus group? They always say that. We want something practical. We want something practical. Here's how you do this and here's how you do that. Uh, let me just make a quick application to this first point here. And then we'll go on to our to the rest of this. I mentioned this story up in Canada. It came back to me for some reason. I was golfing with a good friend of mine back in the 90s. And at the time, I was assigned the duty of teaching the high school students. So my buddy that I was golfing with had some daughters in my class. And he said, I'm not happy with what you're teaching my daughters. And I said, well, I'm teaching from Genesis how to have a Christian worldview. What do you think I should teach? He said, I want you to teach about dating. But see, at the moment, it seemed like that was pertinent because his daughters were dating type age, and he didn't know what as a Christian father to teach his daughters about dating. So he wanted me to do it. I said, no, I don't think I want to teach dating in the church. I'm not even sure about how that works. I'm going to teach Genesis. I know that. All right, so time goes on. I told him why. I want your daughters to have a Christian worldview so when they go to college, somebody doesn't take away their faith by lying. And I was actually comparing the creation in Genesis with the Babylonian creation epic and show how different they are. Fast forward. Three years later, I'm back golfing with my buddy again. And he said something out of the blue that shocked me. He said, thank you for not listening to me. Ever heard that? That's an odd one. Thank you for not listening to me. I said, well, why would you say that? He said, well, my daughters went off to this liberal arts college, and the professor was saying that Genesis was borrowed from the Babylonians. And my daughters had read Genesis and the Babylonians, 
She, they were able to say, no, no, we know. And they went and told her dad, Bob told us about this and warned us. And we were ready for it. So later, he says, thank you for teaching Genesis and not dating. See, we think, oh, if we can just solve our problems now, everything be okay. But dear ones, our biggest problem is thinking like Christians. If we're not trained in the whole counsel of God, we won't think like Christians. And when we make decisions, they'll be bad ones. In regard to eternal things, we'll think like the world. And we'll start making really bad ideas and eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Thinking we're going to be like God. We have to know who Christ is, what he did, why we need him, what he expects of us. So the liar is the denier. We can only acknowledge God by rightly confessing Christ. And silence about Christ is failure to confess. Matthew 16, 16, and 17. Peter answered, You are the Christ. Remember the question, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. That means the Messiah. The Son of the living God. Meaning, by the way, Son of David and Son of God. We saw that in Sunday school. We're looking at some passages. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Love for true doctrine comes from God's grace. Oh, yes. If you love the truth, it's because you're blessed by God. Jesus came preaching and teaching the truth. Some people became angry, and some people became full of joy. There's a division based on how you respond to Christ. Some people said, who, who, who is Jesus? Well, he's a prophet or Elijah-type figure, this or that. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. The Holden Christian Standard says you are the Messiah. Same idea. The Messiah, Christ, is the son of David and the son of God. You know, false doctrine can't be sanctified. Oh, I've heard this. You can't believe how many times I've debated it by email with people who interact with me based on some articles. A lot of people think false doctrine isn't so bad as long as there's some greater good going on. In other words, there's such a thing as sanctified false doctrine. And so I wrote about somebody's book on prayer and showed that it was heretical. I get an email. Well, you shouldn't be so picky about doctrine because she's getting people to pray more. Well, I believe a lot of monks in Catholic monasteries pray more than I do. But they don't believe they can even be saved. Does the end justify the means? No. Do, do we decide something like, what will make people pray more and then teach whatever causes that result? No. No, we can't do that. The end, ultimately, is to be glorified by the Son and glorify Him in heaven forever, to know him, to love him, and to know the truth and to be set free. 
No lies of the truth. You cannot sanctify false doctrines. God reveals truth to babes. How so? These ones, like Peter, weren't the trained theologians. They weren't the religious elite. They weren't the ones sitting in the place of power. They were like infants in the sense of having no status with their religious establishment. But when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that was a work of grace. God did that. And he knew, you're blessed. You You didn't make yourself smarter and figure it out. God blessed you, and you know this. So we need to have a robust doctrine of Christ. Now, I'd have a really bad sermon if I entitled it, Who is the Liar?, and never answered that question. Right? So here's the answer. The liar is the denier. It rhymes. John 8, 53 to 55. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham, who died. Remember the debate I was talking to you about. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? They said to Jesus. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, out of whom you say he is our God. You do not come to know him, but I know him. And if I said that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. I know him and I keep his word. Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, who existed from all eternity as God and with God, who created the world out of nothing, who was born of a virgin, who lived a sinless life, who predicted his own resurrection from the dead, who was raised from the dead before witnesses, who bodily ascended into heaven before witnesses, whoever lives to make intercession for us, Hebrews 7.25, who's at the throne of grace at the right hand of God, Psalm 110, and also in Hebrews, Hebrews 4, 16, so that those who know him find grace, mercy, timely help. Who says that doctrine is not practical? Are you thinking about this? Think very carefully. Is grace mercy, and timely help, practical. What if you don't know about dating? I, I did that once in 1969. I'm the expert. It worked out pretty good. I got a wife for 44 years. But that's not what's important. What's important is that I end up with a wife who knows Christ in a family of God that truly loves us. The liar is the denier. We can't just be quiet about it. We can't say, well, we don't want to talk about this. People aren't interested in it. We need to preach Christ and confess Christ and that we're willing to is a gift from God. We're not morally superior to anybody as sinners, but we're saved by grace. I'm not saying our life isn't different. It is, but only because of God's grace. 
God didn't choose the things that are. He chose the things that are not. We must confess Christ. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. This is what we need to know. I've already told you who Christ is, and I think I've told you why we need him. We're lost. We can't solve our own problems. We need Christ. We never would be willing to confess him if he didn't do a work of grace in our hearts. We deny him. This describes, as I say in my slide, a courtroom setting. Will he, the paraclete, the great attorney, the one called alongside to help, confess me on that crucial day? 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. And then it says in Hebrews 9.26, that was 1 Peter 3.18. Let me quote Hebrews 9.26. For then he would have to have suffered repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 9.26. He's not like the high priest who had to go back with the blood of animals year by year. He died for sins once for all. Somebody said, and they're not wrong, all the world religions teach do. Do, 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 and then maybe you'll be okay, but we're not sure. What does the gospel say? Done. Done. He did it all. It's done. It's done. We've said this over and over at that wonderful conference in Canada. It's not what we do for God. It's what he does for us. Who's the sinner? God be merciful to me, the sinner. I've already told you about Christ. Have you believed on him? Today, repent and believe the gospel. What does that mean? Turn from trusting self, trusting religion, trusting man, trusting human wisdom, trusting power, trusting money, trusting status, trusting the honor the world has to offer. Turn from all of that and trust Christ. Hallelujah. The only honor that we'll ever need is that one day he'll confess us before the Father. What the world says about us really doesn't matter. Come to Christ and be saved. What happens here is only for a short time. Last slide. When John 4, 2 and 3, a little preview. I like reviews and previews. This is where we're going later in John, or First John. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come into flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, or of, yeah, of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming and is now already in the world. See, discerning of spirits doesn't imply seeing spirits. 
boy, do I get that. I just got an email about that yesterday. And I try to help these people. They're adamant. Oh, no, no, no. There's this spirit, that spirit, and the other spirit. And there's this altar who controls the spirits. And I need somebody to get in there and get these things out. I said, come to Christ. Well, I already did. I didn't do any good. Oh, Christ didn't do any good. Now what am I going to do? Where should we go? Only you have the words of life. Discerning of spirits doesn't mean floating in the spirit world and seeing things because we're not equipped for that. We'll get beat up every time. It's listening to who's confessing Christ. If it's the Holy Spirit motivating a preacher, the preacher will confess Christ. The true doctrine of Christ is our test of spirits. We have to know doctrine. Next week I'll teach doctrine. So be forewarned. We're going to teach the doctrine of Christ. And you know spirits by knowing the doctrine of Christ. That's something we can know. That's something we can understand. That's something we can discern. God isn't going to send us into the domain of the spirits to try to muddle our way through that. I tell people this. Those spirits have been in their world for thousands of years. They know their way around. They see us. We can't see them. They're liars. They're deceivers. And they'll do everything they can to keep you from Christ. Is that where you want to go? Well, I need somebody who has experience in that discerning demons. Well, here's the experience. Do they confess Christ? If not, it's not from God. See, it's the mercy of God that we were rescued, transferred, redeemed, and forgiven. Rescued from the domain of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of his beloved sons. Our sins are forgiven. The blood of Jesus bought us back from Satan, sin, and death and brought us into the kingdom of God. He gave us a relationship with the triune God of the Bible and gave us eternal life. That's what God does. But what are the demons doing? Lying, deceiving, not confessing Christ. There it is. All teaching that claims to have a spiritual source and be about how to have a true religion and how to please God must be discerned in this way. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I also want to close by saying this. When the situation calls for confession, but no confession is forthcoming, then the spiritual source of those who fail to confess is not from God. No matter what they say, it says in the back of the hymnal. I may have time to talk about that next week. Some people want to make sure everybody confesses, so they put it in the hymnal, and then they force everybody to say, repeat after me. Bum, 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 bum. Did you repeat? Did everybody say it? Yes, repeat after me. Good. Everybody confessed, everybody saved. Why well, did that? for almost 15 years, and I was as lost as anybody could be. Totally lost. But when I met Christ, I was more than happy to confess him. I hope that's true for you. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for 
sending your son Jesus to die for our sins. Thank you for the love that you shed abroad in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for allowing us to look into these things that are so glorious. And may we all have the boldness, by your grace, to confess our dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for everything you've done for us. And we give you the glory in Jesus' holy name. Amen.